Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 695 of Longbox Heroes, the Lamborghini of comic book podcasts. Joe and Todd here. Todd, hello. How are you? Good. All right. It's going to be one of those shows, right? I'm going to make it a short show. Just one word answer. Cool. All right. So enough dilly-dally, and let's get down to business, huh? Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's talk about some news. Uh, let's talk about a good thing that Todd McFarlane's doing. Uh, let's talk about a bad thing that Diamond did. Let's talk about a good thing that's happening for a friend of the show. And let's talk about the Rob. Cool boy. Hey, let's also talk about conventions this weekend. Uh, let's talk about some of the stuff that we read from this past week, uh, including Brave and the Bold Batman number nine, which isn't the title of the book. Batman goes first. And uh, Ghost Machine number one. Technically not Ghost Machine number one, but you get what I'm saying. Multiple number ones in one somehow. But anyway. Yes. Uh, what we're looking forward to coming out this week. Um, we're also having our continued Todd and Joe have issues as we are rereading Gail Simone's Secret Six, and we're almost done with Villains United, and we got some Birds of Prey, then it'll officially be reading Secret Six. Right. All that, and Becky's Walk Down Lois Lane. Yes, thank you very much for reminding me of that, and as we record this, two short weeks, Todd, until Madam Web Mania sweeps the nation. Uh, all right. I said this was going to be a short show, but man, oh man, do you trigger me <laughs> when you tweet that I got Batman 89 vibes? <laughs> I know it's a bit, but it makes what? me. No, wait, 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 Todd, wait a minute. First of all, Todd, first of all, I don't do bits, but second. Right, right. <laughs> Go ahead. What, what do you mean? Oh. No, it's just, it's just, it, I get it, and I'm like, oh my god, I, I, I know what you're doing, and I, I usually applaud that kind of thing because when, when I, when I'm ticking someone off, I love it. I don't know what is on the other end. I don't know, not so much, but I, I get it, and I just think you're following a uh, young Ed's, you know, love of this movie that hasn't been released yet, but uh, we'll see. And I hope you're out there on Valentine's Day with the misses. At Madam Web, you know, giving it the money. Now, I, I will say it will probably be that Wednesday night that we do go see it. I will be sacrificing watching professional wrestling live. Mm. Um, only because, you know, Thursday I record uh, at odds. That Friday we would be recording uh, the, pre- the the Patreon show, right? Right. And I, again, I, I really so I really want to see it opening day so I don't get it spoiled on me. Right. And it's in all honesty, yes, I am having some fun with young Ed. He was kind of on track with the Morbius thing before everyone else was. Right. And this is one of those ones where because like they've done Spider-Man villains, right? Right. But this is them doing like every female spider character in one movie. Mm-hmm. and Ezekiel, right. it's as many bad Spider-Man ideas as you possibly can get, and like as many bad, unmarketable Spider-Man ideas that you could get in one movie without actually having Spider-Man in it. That and being it's like sa- the, the chutzpah right. of the filmmakers. Right? That being said, have you heard the rumor about Ezekiel, who it was supposed to be at one point? 
Wasn't it supposed to be Toby Maguire? Yes. That's what I hear. That yeah. they wanted Toby, but they couldn't get him. And um, then I, I don't and again, I don't want too much information about the movie, but I saw like a video come up of someone analyzing a tra- like all the trailers and all the footage that we right. have. Sure. That's so, like attempting frame to, by frame, you know. That's attempting to pinpoint like where in the Sony Spider-Verse this movie takes place. Right. And I'm like, this might be too much information for me. Right. Analyzing like the Web Zapruder film, you know what I mean? But no, uh, it's like literally at analyzing bench ads on the gotcha. bus and but, like what it's referring to and because they say this then that means that and like just like you know like you'll see a screenshot where they have a whole bunch of things like what does this mean and something will be circled and you know like a youtube like a uh, teaser image right right guy making the soy face the whole thing but um, your tweets through the Longbox account went over big at football. Uh, <laughs> the way you keep pushing all the really bad uh, articles, like the Dakota uh, Johnson talking about what? all the stuff. Like I made a movie, uh, you know, a green screen. It would, that, it, it, would, it, would be as, it would be as though AI generated a movie just for your boyfriend. That was one of them. <laughs> and then another one was um, uh, I, I – uh, I, the, the fake explosions going off because it was on a blue screen and it was like, Oh, act like there's an explosion. And to me, that was absolutely psychotic. I was like, I don't know if this is going to be good at all. I hope I did an okay job. <laughs> what a lead in a story. Right. And so- but I read all these at the football when we were at football, when we went out Sunday and it went over big. So I was like, all right, it's working. And then there was only two word answers. Anytime uh, Madam Webb came up and those two <laughs> words were Sydney Sweeney. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And that's it. And, I was and see, like, that's the thing. I don't even know which girl that is. She's one of the girls in the movie. I don't know. I don't keep up on young Hollywood, right? Right. But so I don't know. On the Sydney uh, Sweeney uh, rabbit hole I've gone down, I might see Madam Web. But right. We'll we'll see. But keep up the good work, Joe. Batman so- eighty nine, Madam Web twenty four. You know. It's like poetry. It rhymes. Madam Web twenty four seven. Yeah. All right, so let's actually get into actual show news and stuff and things, right? Sure. Uh, So issue 350 of Spawn is coming out. And as a nice thing uh, for retailers, now granted, um, the book is being delayed. um, And maybe the book is being delayed because any store that ordered 25 or more copies before the final order cutoff date, which was this past weekend, uh, you are going to get a signed copy of the book by Todd himself. Sweet. Not me, the real Todd McFarlane, but that is cool. Todd McFarlane. That's a cool deal to do kind of as a reward to the retailers. Uh, You know, Spawn is is a book that I don't read anymore. But it's definitely kind of like waxed and waned in popularity. You know, if you listen to mm-hmm. Previewing the Past, that was like the lone image book that I kind of held out on for as long as I could. Right. Um, and then this, they recently had a resurgence where they did that King Spawn and that hit really big. And Todd has gone on record and said that 2024 is the make or break year to get a new Spawn movie made or at least started being made. So it, it, I just like to see Todd doing well, 
You know, he, mm-hmm. he's had a rough go of it. You know, he's made some poor business decisions um, over the last 30 years or so. Like, he's made he's made a lot of good business decisions, but the two or three bad ones that he made were, like, it, like impressively bad. Right. There were no slouches in the bad department. Yeah, like, l- literally costing him millions and millions of dollars, costing him friendships, costing him rights to characters... Um, so, you know, I, I like, I like Todd, you know? Yeah. I feel the biggest thing he's got going against him are the unflattering impersonations. <laughs> I was going to say, there is a certain podcast that'll go unnamed that mm-hmm. likes to take shots at Todd for no reason and do an unflattering impression of him. Seems like every third episode is dumping on Todd. It's almost like there's a jealousy thing there, but who knows? Could really right. be anything. Could be anything. Could be anything. Uh, and then the other big one uh, was that Diamond actually canceled one of their upcoming retailer summits. Right. Um, I guess Comics Pro uh, was doing one of their events upcoming here at Megacon. Mm-hmm. And it was supposed to be the same weekend as Diamond. And then Diamond just decided, like, yeah, we're not going to do it. We don't want to, like... Um, interfere with the event. Like, I know, like, we've had, like, a 40-year stronghold on this. Right. But you guys have a deal with them, so, like, we'll just do it another time. Right. And the the Diamond Retailer Summits were huge. Yeah. Because like, they gave a lot of big stuff away. Like, like you know, one of, you know, how many to each retailer, like, variant covers and books that the retailers sold for a lot of money. And they would have the Diamond Retailer Breakfast and everything. Our retailer went to it a couple of times and talked about it. Um, but, like, you know, and that was huge because Diamond had a stranglehold on the industry. Um, when you flinch, Joe... Mm-hmm. You don't have the stranglehold anymore, and you're on your way out. As far as I'm concerned, <sighs> a flinch is a sign of weakness. Yep, it's like a sneeze. But uh, I look at it as they're, they're doing this, and it, the other co- uh, comics pro has, you know, Marvel. You know, uh, big wigs are going to be there. They're probably going to give stuff away, and that's where that's that's where the the industry gets led by you know what i mean so mm-hmm. comics pro all the way and it's only a matter of time before diamond comics is kicking rocks as far as i'm concerned yep and you know it's 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 good to have a shake up sometime it's good to have somebody come in and uh you know upset the apple cart if you will mm-hmm. um but in one other bit of news uh so this is a news item to follow up on a news item nearly to the day from five years ago. Uh, on February 11th, 2019, Paramount had announced that they were going to be optioning the Kyle Stark's graphic novel, Kill Them All, into a movie or into something. So today, five years later, Paramount has announced that the uh current the director of the netflix extraction films sam hargrave has signed on to direct the kill them all adaptation yep they have to get might have to get paramount joe so things move slow in hollywood sometimes right and i would have to say that the pandemic probably um put a bigger delay on stuff like this didn't strike and the writer's strike. And then I would say, conversely, it's a comic book graphic novel property 
that somebody looked at and said, there's no superheroes in this. There's no green screens in this. We could probably make this for not hundreds of millions of dollars. Right. And probably turn a profit. And we've been sitting on this for five years. It's the way Hollywood's going, Joe. Right. And uh, I, I hope that this is the beginning of a... To, that we now get Hollywood Kyle M. Starks. Out of Hollywood this. is strapping the rocket to Kyle M. Starks, Joe. <laughs> it's just the, the fuse has been five years long is all. Right. Yes, it was a slow fuse, but a big payload. Yes. Uh, so, again, as we hear and see stuff like that of friends of the show doing good, taking care of business... Stand out of trouble, keeping their nose clean, that sort of thing. We will absolutely mention it with aplomb and uh, hopefully discuss it all here on the show, you know? Yep. Ask not for whom the Rob Trolls. The Rob Trolls for thee. And now, the Rob Watch. Now, on the flip side of things, it's time for the Rob Watch. No, it is a flip. So as you may know, uh, this past week, as we discussed on the show last week, the Rob rolled out his latest creator-owned book, Last Blood, and it was supposed to be for sale on his whatnot stream, right? Mm-hmm. Except it wasn't. Okay. He has a store on his site that it went up on, and his first batch of copies sold out before he actually did his whatnot stream. Oh boy. Um there so then he said, okay, those ones sold out. The launch edition is sold out. Standard and variant editions. Now I'm just gonna throw a side note in here. The Rob is definitely someone who kind of critiques people that his they they need to sell books by having multiple variant covers and all this other stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Uh so this book uh has four different covers there's a regular cover that's just black and red there's a foil version of that one there's a a cover that has a character on it and then there's a bloody variant of that cover right a rub the bloody variant no no rub the blood um limited quantities um three per customer right right so then on his whatnot stream he told us that the first batch uh on the cover they misspelled the name of the colorist on the book. Okay. So they had to do another set of the books. Um, so I think we had discussed this maybe um, on the show last week where he talked about how it was going to be 70 copies of each of the two variants, but there's four variants av- that are going to be available during the show. There'll be signed and unsigned versions, a total of 140 copies. Special foil editions are only available through auction on whatnot, right? Mm-hmm. So, again, it felt like it was a bit of, like, miscommunication and how these are going to go out. So then he does the live stream Thursday night, limited quantities, the whole thing. And as he's doing the live stream, and a bunch of us were in there watching it. Like, we were interested to see how it was all going to pan out, right? Mm-hmm. And on the live stream Thursday night, Rob said, when you buy this, it's yours. Do with it whatever you want. Right? Right. Then on Saturday, he put up a thing. 
Hang on, let me find it again. It's a lot of Rob. It's been a busy week for the Rob, right? Been, yep. Um, so he, he does the live streams here and there. Oh, okay, so he says, uh, full transparency. We printed 100 of three editions and 50 of the foil. So that's four different variant covers. Of those editions, I'm offering 80 of each. The launch edition is completely sold out. There are at least 20 editions of our standard, bloody, and foil editions that we held back, and those go up on Saturday's show. When those are gone, we're they're gone, right? So the number of how many books he got keeps fluctuating. It's like he found some behind the couch? Yeah, yeah, like mm. some fell behind the couch. They were almost like wedding brawlers or something, right? Okay. Um. So like I said, Thursday night, he says... When you get the book, you order it, you do with with it whatever you will, right? Mm -hmm. So then Saturday, after that announcement, he puts up, I need a moratorium on Last Blood, February 1st, until any spoiler discussion occurs. All launch night, spelled N-I-T-E, copies have shipped and should arrive before them. Then let's keep stuff under wraps so that others can experience the same discovery without spoilers. He just wants to enjoy the people enjoying the book, Joe. <laughs> right. So what if um, now somebody then posted up in the group? It's like, hey, I got my copy. Uh, would it be OK if I posted um, spoilers up? Right. Mm hmm. And then Rob replies, I've asked for a moratorium until Thursday. Right. And a lot of people are like, oh, I must have missed that. Because, again, the Rob posts a lot. If you don't catch every whatnot stream, if you're not really super keyed into the Rob's world, you can miss an announcement or something or whatever it is. Right. Right. When it comes to the Rob, you got to have a few keys. But anyway. Yeah. So I, I have a feeling that he's waiting for this to see. Um, you know, how many more he has to order of the second print run, the third print runs, the fourth print runs. And again, it just feels like it's a little unclear and mixed signals on how and where and how many of these books and when we could talk about it and all that sort of stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I would have been interesting to get one just as a rib on myself. Sure. Um, but like I said, the Rob just made it. I'm not a whatnot guy. I'm sure if you are a whatnot person, this was very easy and straightforward for you to do. Right. I have no idea. Because... Right. But, uh, you know, I'll be reading the spoilers come, uh, the first to see how great this book was. Right. Uh, and it'd be beyond great, big, huge, wonderful. Right. It'll be a very macho and manly book as only the very alpha made. dog this book yes it's a book full of guy stuff let's say <laughs> right turbo would love it so speaking of the rob related but unrelated this weekend is megacon in orlando officially this is the one that the rob says is the only convention of all the fan expo conventions that keeps all the other ones afloat right and this is a jammed up show, man. Uh, Frank Miller, Jeff Johns, Mark Silvestri, Art Adams, Jason Aaron, uh, Mark Brooks, Jason Fabok, Tony Daniels. Like the whole Ghost Machine crew is going to be there, right? 
Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike Grell, Tom King, Jeff Loeb, Francis Manipal, Ryan Otley, Ivan Hayes, Scott Snyder. And I don't even care about the media guests. Joe, come on. You don't want to go for the Charmed reunion? I'm okay. I would definitely go. I'd talk to them all. Do they piggyback Shannon Doherty being there to do a uh, Mallrats reunion as well? Uh, they might. They might. And there's also, uh, uh, what was it, M- My Brother Earl? Uh, uh, my name is Earl. Seems to be a reunion going on there, too. So, like, uh, these are, I would go f- for this one mostly for the uh, the celebrities. So, Can we piggyback the My Name is Earl reunion with Jamie Presley being there? Yes. To to do a dead or alive uh, reunion, well, I don't know what dead or alive is. Dead so. or alive, we did it for the Add Ons Patreon, and it was a loophole on Adam's part. It's like, oh, it's a movie with a wrestler in it. Kevin Nash is in it for eight minutes, right? Right. It's the same way you could do Punisher at one point, but go ahead. It's a movie based on a video game, a fighting game, right? Mm-hmm. Where if I say the verbiage. Jiggle physics? Does that ring any bells for you, Doug? Yes, it's like, you know, how if someone punches you in the face, your face jiggles and no other parts at all. Right. So the games for Dead or Alive were, like, marketed around that so much, even so that they did a game that wasn't a fighting game, but it was a volleyball game of the characters. Oh, okay. Right. And it's not Jamie Presley, who I guess is the de facto lead, but it's the second female lead who was a scene in the movie mm-hmm. that they were going to attempt to build the entire unrated cut around her scene. Okay. How she disarms uh, some assailants wearing, for most of the scene, just a towel. Gotcha. Okay. Giving barbed wire a run for her money. Let's just, well, let's just say. The version that we watched was the um, PG-13 version. Good, And my unnamed co-host, when he heard of this scene existing, he found the third-party YouTube site that was hosting it legally, I assure you. Right. He did a journalism, is what you're saying. Yes. But Megacon Orlando does have your buddy Jamie Farr there, so... Oh, yes! And Loretta Sweat, so MASH reunion... Weren't there three MASH members last time we came? <laughs> right. They, somebody at one of these conventions needs to br- back up the Brinks tra- truck, mortgage their house one time, two times, three times, come up with whatever number it takes to get Alan Alda to show up for one last you know, appearance with as many members of the MASH cast as they possibly can. Right, and get Andrew Dice Clay to show up. Because okay. he was in an episode. Andrew Dice Clay was in an episode of MASH? Yes, I was discussing this with somebody the other day. It's absolutely jarring to see Andrew Dice Clay as a patient in the MASH hospital. And not like, oh, I was out, you know, fighting the Koreans. Oh, no, he's like just normal. Just like a like, human. Oh. Yeah, what? Just like a human. Yes. So, and... It's it's crazy. I'll see if I can find the clip later for you, Joe. I, I'm I'm texting one of the three um, MASH historians I have on speed dial in my phone. I'm one of them, right? Well, I'm talking to one of them. 
Another one I don't bother with such frivolity, and the other one I only bother with frivolity. <laughs> right. Uh, so we have the links to the convention in the show notes, of course. If you're going to be in the greater Orlando area this weekend, I would say this is a worthwhile convention to check out. Uh, another thing that's worthwhile to check out would be the soon-to-be-named network at soon-to-be-named-network.com, soon-to-be-named-network.tumblr.com. Anytime any of the shows go live, you can, of course, find them at their own individual sites. You can find them, of course, through whatever podcatcher that you have on your phone that your Bluetooth wirelessly headphone listening to the shows on. Mm-hmm. Or you could just go to soon-to-be-named-network.com. And find information about this show, about Longbox Heroes After Dark, Final Wrestling Place, At Odds with Wrestling, We Need Wrestling, Puzzle Warriors 3, Profane Arguments, Porch Talk, Wings on Wings, and Hayabusi. You could also check out our friends in and around the internet, the stuff that they're up to. You can go check out Mike Sterling's blog over at ProgressiveRuin.com, a... over 30-year retailer on the West Coast. Tons of information, a wealth of knowledge that man has. You can go check out our friend Kevin's blog at hellionsteam.com. You can go check out Rick Williams' The Chop Shop at freekaratechops.storeenvy.com. You can go purchase Jason Sandberg's Jupiter, his self-published independent book, a la carte through his Indiegogo. You can go purchase... Chris Runt's Battle Monsters at FortressOfComicNews.com. Self-published comics all around. You can support our good friend Davey of the band Cave People at his site, CaveDomainComics.com. Get stuff in print. I think there's limited quantities left, but you can always get stuff digitally. And if you do not have a good comic book store in your area or any comic book store in your area, let our store be your store. Comics on the Green. We have the Facebook page linked up anytime. There's new releases coming in because they come in on Tuesdays and Wednesdays now because that's the world we live in. Anytime that there's final order cutoff dates for hot books, Dave and the crew is going to let you know. And we get, and when he gets a drop of 50s eerie and creepy comics dropped on his doorstep he will lovingly photograph them all and share them with the world over on the facebook page and if you sign up for the mail order subscription service you can get books sent to you weekly bi-weekly or monthly and when you do there's a chance you can get a sketch on the package from our good friend becky who is now going to take us all on a walk down Lois Lane. Welcome back to my walk down Lois Lane. This week we're talking about issue 39 from 1963. The cover has Lois hurling dinner plates at Superman's head because he's keeping a safe with pictures of his exes in her house. But we're going to cover the second story of Lois turning all of her devotion to another man. So let's dive in. Perry gives Lois an assignment that he calls Superman-based, and she agrees to cover it, but the location is a beautiful redhead contest where her rival Lana is competing. Turns out Superman is the judge, I wouldn't turn that down either, and he picks Lana Lang to win. Lois is upset because Lana is her rival, and now there's a trophy to prove she's the prettiest redhead in town, but when Lana suddenly kisses Superman in front of everyone, Lois literally has a heart attack and faints in the middle of the crowd. 
Superman says Lois fainting is a trick to end the best world saving he's ever done, but he flies her to a doctor anyway. The doctor dismisses Superman and examines her and tells her she's fine, but she has a problem of the heart. Her love and devotion to Superman and him not returning her feelings is slowly killing her, and she needs to have her head examined. He gives her a word association test, and every word he says, she answers with Superman. So the doctor tells her that she needs to find herself a nice normal man, gives her the newspaper, and tells her to pick a guy from work. Perry is old and married. Jimmy is young and into her sister. So Lois decides that she will scrape the bottom of the barrel in desperation and pick Clark Kent. That is really in there. They start to date, and Lois begins to fool for Clark because he's polite and does everything that she says. He's secretly saving the day around her as they go around, but she doesn't notice. He's confused as to why he's getting so much attention, and she confesses that she only started dating him to forget Superman, and they should just get married already. Clark politely and agreeably tells her that that's fine, but thinks to himself, oh no, Lois is going to ruin my life as Superman, and I have to get her to break up with me. He begins to sabotage her reporting of Superman by writing articles about his heroics before she can, and honestly, that works immediately. She tells him the marriage is off. She can take Superman kissing other women, but she cannot handle Clark reporting better than her. The issue ends with her showing up at the doctor's office, telling him that he's a quack and that she will never stop loving Superman. The jerk in this issue is Perry. Because he knew it was a beauty contest, and he sent Lois there anyway, and he probably could have killed her. Isn't that also more of a Jimmy Olsen thing, too? Unless Jimmy is part of that myth that redheads don't find other redheads attractive? But anyway, tune in next week for more Lois Lane. Thank you very much, Becky, for your expertise knowledge. I always feel bad when I compliment Becky to her face about the show. Mm -hmm. Because I feel as though my compliments shape her to lean the uh, subject matter in ways that maybe she was not intending to go. Right. You're influencing her choices by complimenting her. And I never want to influence her choices. This is something that she was very passionate about. Um, You know, obviously Lois Lane is the linchpin for this, but it's, you know, romance comics and stuff like that. And, you know, we have, we have one uh, in the pipeline that's coming soon. um, That has nothing to do with Lois Lane, but it's fascinating story. Um, and I'm gonna, you know, hopefully when I see Becky at the shop, I'm gonna, I, it's, it's not going to be a subject matter for her, uh, but it's going to be something that I, I, I need like a, a request that I'm going to have of her. Right. And I will say of this episode, Joe, yes. um, all the physics and science of heart attacks does seem, <laughs> does seem uh, true and reliable because I believe that's what happened to me. I had a heart attack cause I love Superman too much too. <laughs> Go ahead. Again, it just it wasn't just comics, but I just think it was in media in the late 50s, early 60s, like all media Mm -hmm. did not know how the cardiovascular system worked. Right. We were just working out x-ray machines, I think. Yeah. I think this was still the time where like you were prescribed cigarettes by your doctor up to a point. Filtered cigarettes. It was healthier that way. Yeah, exactly. Right. But uh, and the other thing is, I do not blame Perry. If you're a journalist and you can't handle a redheaded like, you know, a redhead competition, then you're not worth your salt. Perry was just doing his due diligence. That's all. I've been looking for the address to that redhead convention lately. Right. Right. 
<laughs> anyway, thanks again, Becky, uh, for taking time out of your busy day for supplying us with uh, fun content, fun discussion here on the show. Now let's get into what we read from this past week, Todd. Where would you like to begin? Uh, I would like to start with Batman, the Brave and the Bold, number nine, which is the book that we were both looking forward to, which, you know, basically was for the Kyle M. Starks uh, uh, wild dog story uh, drawn by, I don't have it in front of me. I hate when I do that. Um, Give me one second. Uh, Fernando Passaran. Yes. Um, Beautiful pencils. Always, always, always. As we left Wild Dog, he had his head handed to him and his hockey mask by Gizmo and his men. And he's downtrodden and he's ready to give up. And he goes to see his cop buddy at the big game that day. And, you know, the the cop buddy gives him the attaboy, like, you're the one thing. And kind of gives him some information about uh, a character we met in the book. Uh, the uh, the the street vendor who kind of kind of maybe turns his attitude around, and then Gizmo shows up at the big game, and his men are there, and they ba- he basically uh, steals the playbook from Bane, and you know keeps all the people in there, and he's going to ransom them, and basically Wild Dog has to you know turn the tables on him because he's in there, and he reverts to maybe his old form and maybe his old jersey, but I don't want to spoil things. Um, and Wild Dog does what a Wild Dog does. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, so Gizmo had a great plan. Um, you know, this is chapter three of the story. So, you know, our hero is downtrodden and beaten, and he's ready to give it up. And he just happens to be in the right place at the right time to fail Gizmo's plan. And I like the simplicity of it that Gizmo thinks he has everything thought out. Like, I know which people are going to be here. I could get you all in the same place at the same time. I could give you a deadline to wire money into my account. I could set up the bombs throughout the stadium. I could, uh, you know, put the geodesic dome over everything so no one can escape. It's a foolproof plan, except for one little nitpick that I have was there was the bit that was a little heavy-handed in regards to the smoke grenades. What? They're weapons grade, Joe. <laughs> that were it was telegraphed just a little bit. That being said, I do like that the moral of the story was yes, Gizmo or Wild Dog did uh, whoop up on a bunch of people, but the ma- majority of this story is. Through his simplicity and ingenuity, he was able to outsmart Gizmo and take him down. Spoilers. Right. Wild Dog's the everyman, Joe. Yes. And I feel like we all have a little wild dog inside us. Yes. And Max from the coffee truck is back up. Uh, we, we get like a little teaser at the end of kind of not so much as a dangling plot thread, but it's like, well, hey, there's other people that are going to try to do what Gizmo did here. And Wild Dog's up for the challenge, and I love that it ended up being open-ended in the hopes that we get more, because I definitely want more. Right, for the Wild Dog ongoing. Yes, or another miniseries, or something, you know? Yeah, I would like to see, uh, like, a Wild Dog miniseries a la Peacemaker, you know what I mean? Like, this was, to me, this was the tryout, you know? Yeah. And and so the, the logistics on a book like this, I can't imagine because it's an $8 book in the first place. It's got four stories in it. You know, Batman is in ha- at least half of them. You know, the, 
There was a Wild Dog story. There was an Aquaman story as this was going on as well. And I, I can't imagine of like how they gauge sales on something like this. Right, because and I don't want to knock Kyle. There's isn't there a, a Tom King story in here too? So yeah, got to go by you know how not like how much is uh, is it from Tom King? How much is from Kyle Starks? How much is Gabriel Hardman, who I'm a big fan of? You know what I mean? Right, um, right. So so it's really tough to gauge on an anthology book of like what is pulling in the buys. Mm-hmm. I know what pulled it in for me. I know what it pulled it in for Todd. I know it pulled it in for a lot of people, but you know, I it just makes me wish that I could specifically say, like, I want the money I'm paying for my book to go just to Kyle Starks. Right. What I would like them to do is, like we said before, reprint this story in a one-shot comic on its own for three nine four ninety-nine, whatever, you know, how much the page count says it would be, but not yeah. obviously seven ninety-nine. And I think, you know. Especially with all the news that's been going on, having a last year having a number one uh, a top five book at Marvel and at DC, you know, that, you'd be able to push that, is what mm-hmm. I'm saying. Right. So uh, the other book that we both read this past week was yet another anthology book, I mm-hmm. guess, kind of sorta, yes. uh, and that would be the Ghost Machine number one, Ghost Machine one shot. Ghost Machine Special, depending on where you go, this book is called something different everywhere. Right. But this is the big official launch of the Jeff Johns creator-owned universe. We've already gotten stories um, of Geiger and Junkyard Joe, which is in like that little corner of it. Right. And then we are introduced to, you know, obviously we get a refresher on Geiger we get an adversary of Geiger that's set up, and then we get three more, at least, um, new, I guess, universes, new worlds, new characters, new something that are becoming out of this, right? Right. And it's a who's who of creative teams, both on the art side and the writing side. And it would be difficult to, like, go through each and every one, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because it's a 64-page book, and we're getting like almost a full story of introducing all of these things. Was there any one in particular that you liked, you didn't like, you were wishy-washy on, that you're like, I definitely need this, or I could pass on this? Like, what uh, were your thoughts? Um, okay, on all of them, um, obviously I'm a Geiger fan, so that that is there's a little bit more in here. Yeah. Um, but the one that stood out to me is Redcoat. Um, Redcoat to give it the elevator pitch is I imagine him as Highlander meets Jonah Hex in that he's wearing obviously the loser schmuck in the Redcoat jacket the same way Jonah does the Confederate thing but he's also an immortal so he's seen all this he's been around since you know 1770 whatever and but he's a very charismatic guy and he's fun but there's something going on there um, I don't know but I like all like of like everything that Jeff Johns and Brian Hitch stir into the pot, I'm a fan of. Mm-hmm. So that goes really cool. But that also all ties into the timeline that he kind of sets up in here. That most of these stories, uh, except for one or two, maybe don't go into the universe. So that's my nitpick: is that I'm confused of what 
uh, is, is certain ones are in the timeline, but the red coat one looks beautiful and has me uh, completely enamored. So, right, uh, I'm with you on red coat just because it already ties in, or at least we're being told that it ties in closely to the Geiger Junkyard Joe stuff. Mm-hmm. The next for me would be the Hyde Street stuff, the horror side of things. Right, it's like a Twilight Zone, Outer Limits kind of book. Yeah, only because it's something that I don't think Jeff Johns has ever written before. And I'd be very interested to see how he would tackle something like this. And I like the tease that we got in this. Um, right. I, I thought the uh, Ivan Hayes art was really good. Um, it's a story that jumps around a little bit from different time periods. He does a good job of capturing the time periods. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do the pages. One of the variant covers even had it like the old um, comic book ads with like the x-ray specs and stuff like this. Right. But it seems as though like the Hyde Street stuff is going to be that stuff actually exists and works with mm-hmm. a price in this universe. So it's like intriguing. Yes. That being said, I think I've maybe said all this before, is I feel all the Jeff Johns stuff in here Mm -hmm. are pitches to DC with the serial numbers filed off. Sure. Um, Your Geiger is, and I've said this before, is your Atomic Knight story. And he was like, oh, well, I can't do the, I'm going to do it this way. Honestly, I said, uh, uh, the 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 red coat reminds me of Joni's. He's got the the thing, um, and then I'm trying to th- uh, what the other one was. The Hornsby, and uh, I forget what the name it is. But Hornsby it's the, and Halo. Right to me, that's an angel and eight meets uh, uh, Mister Miracle, and uh, I can't think of who the Orion because they switch sides. They they each they give an an angel baby to a devil family and a devil baby to an angel family, and I'm like. I could see all these and DC just passed on them all. And, but of that one with the devil and angel, I'm interested in that one too. So I'll probably be picking up much, uh, a few of these ghost machines, but I don't know if you get what I'm saying. On yeah. The, so I'm going to like, I think three of the number ones are solicited to come mm-hmm. out in April, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Uh, let me just look here. Cause you know, the, the previews catalog itself will actually be out. Uh, this week as you're going to get your books and online and all that jazz, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but like I said, let me go look, because I do have the spreadsheet here for my April order. Uh, we're getting a new Geiger number one, we're getting Redcoat number one, and we're getting Rook number one in uh, April. Right. And Rook? of the two, the Rook and the Rockefellers were my definitely least favorite. Okay. So how you mentioned it's like, oh, it's a pitch with the serial numbers filed off. The Rocket Fellas, Rocket Fellers definitely felt like a Fantastic Four Challenges of the Unknown style thing. But like, okay, it didn't really offer anything new. It was just like, eh, we're going to tweak things just a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. And Rook, I'll pick up issue one. But I'm kind of apprehensive on it. You got these people that wear animal masks, and there's a bunch of different animals, and they have control over that breed of animal or that species of animal or whatever it is. Uh, it wasn't enough meat on the bone for me to right. Really I had eat. a weird. Do you remember? Did you ever see the Predator movie where they drop them on the 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 animal uh, farm to like hunt them? It just yeah. has a weird like. Th- that one has a weird predator alien animal control feel to me. I don't know. Right. 
And I, but that being said, I'm still going to give it a, I'm going to give Rook a try. Probably passing Rocket Fellas, Horns being Halo, feels like a mini series. Yeah. I don't know how that would go as an ongoing. Right. But Same thing I with Hyde Street. Hyde Street, I feel as though, might end up being more anthology, might be like we're going to do a mini series or a couple issues or a one shot or whatever it is. But I'm still interested. I'm still going to check them all out, right? I, I am. And I give them big props because the book at itself at times is very confusing because um, we don't know the backstory of some of these. And it's meant to be confusing at times. But I do love the fact that he just uh, has the who's who uh, yes. entries in it where it's like, okay, I didn't grasp everything in the story, but this who's who explains everything to me. So um, I would have liked who's who in front of the stories because mm-hmm. sometimes it felt like it was too late. Do you know what I mean? It was like, oh, this would have made the story read easier if I knew mm-hmm. all this. Uh, layout of the book. But I was going to say, you say who's who. I say secret files and origins. You know, mm-hmm. you're just a little bit older than me. Um, very much on jo- like on the you know we say Johns and the DC and the rejected pitches and everything else like that and again it's crazy that we live in a world that Jeff Johns of all people had rejected pitches at DC I figured they would just print whatever garbage he threw at them mm-hmm. <laughs> but whenever he would start like a new story arc on like specifically JSA Flash Green Lantern we would always get a Secret Files and Origin mm-hmm. which would be like here's a story. Here's a wrap-up of the previous story. Here's some updated status quo of folks. Here's some new folks. And here's a tease for the next big story arc. Yep. And, that was kind of, and, and listen, it, it was it a crutch that Jeff Johns used very often? Absolutely. But was it something that I loved? Yes, because I loved what he did and the storytelling and everything like that. So... Uh, the fact that he kind of is taking a lot of those same sensibilities from those books at DC that he was doing, you know, 15, 20 years ago and is now applying them to his own little universe over at Image. I'm definitely going to check it out. Um, you know, if you didn't read Geiger before, I definitely think uh, you should. You would, I wonder if Redcoat would stand on its own. I'm hoping it kind of does. Be- yeah. And the other thing I worry about is all these storylines, at least the ones that... And that was one of my other little problems. I wasn't sure what ones that weren't definitely said in the Geiger universe weren't. Because, like, the Rocket Fellas had a G.I. Junkyard Joe uh, drive-in movie. So I'm like, oh, is that in their universe? I don't know. It gets... It gets fuzzy on some. Well, I think it is all the same shared universe. Right. But, but that's what I'm saying. I worry that it's all leading to an apocalypse. Mm. So you you have a definitive world end, if that makes any sense. Yes. So like how – and they set the year at when it happens, which is I think two years away from now, the far-flung future, you know, as we always say. It's just – to me that kind of – I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. It kind of hamstrings your storytelling where you can go. Yeah. Uh, so we'll see. But I think the red coat definitely has the most uh, flexibility because it's like I can tell stories from 1776 all the way to the apocalypse. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. So like I said, it, you know, it, and it's, uh, it, you know, we talked before about the uh, Batman Brave and the Bold anthology book was an $8 book. This is a 64 page book. It's only five bucks. Um, you know, so it's a little bit cheaper. I noticed that the Ghost Machine books. You know, there are 
three ninety nine, which is still not bad, especially when a lot of books are all going to four ninety nine at this point. Right. You know, so that's you know something to keep in mind as well when you're looking to support something with you know that's new and creator owned and whatever. Right. Are we changing the name of the show to Anthology Heroes? No. Okay. Just no. Checking. Uh, but what we are changing the show to is talking about what we're looking forward to coming out this week. Uh, if you head over to longboxheroes.com, I'm not getting a new URL. Um, every <laughs> Tuesday at noon, we put up the pull post, which is a link to a link to all the books that are coming out this week. Whether you get your books in print, whether you get them digitally, whether you get them sent to your home, however it is, you get your books before warned, before armed, know it's coming out this week. Todd and I attempt to guess what the other is most looking forward to coming out this week. Uh, Todd is currently in the lead over me with one correct guess, mm-hmm. but... Let's see if I could fix that, change that, help that something. I think the book that you were most looking forward to coming out this week is Batman Off-World number three. It is Batman Off-World number three, which I believe is the end of the Batman Off-World mini. Hmm. Good question. I think there might be one more issue, but let me double check. I should have kept my spreadsheet open. Right, I'm looking... Oh, no, Batman Off-World is three of six. Okay, right. I was going to say, I didn't think it was over. Anyway, right, thank right, you for right. finding that quicker than I did. No problem. Uh, the Is the also the same book you're looking forward to, Batman Off-World Tree? No, it's not. Okay. The book I'm most looking forward to, controversially, apparently, is Titans Beast World number six. Oh, okay. Uh, I've... If I have a nitpick, the nitpick if I have is, you know, it's Tom Taylor stuff. They don't do a great job of telling you the order in which you're supposed to read stuff. Mm-hmm. But if you're just reading the main Beast World stuff, I really liked issue five. Like, I loved issue four and five together. Um, setting up everything with uh, Chester P. Ronk. Setting up Amanda Waller's plan in four, setting up what Amanda Waller's plan is in five, um, how we find out who is behind the Starros, how Amanda Waller is not caring and just using that to put her own agenda forward. And this feels like the book that is going to elevate Amanda Waller to being like the 2024 villain of the DC Universe. Um, even so much so that there's parts in there where they go and break Lex out of jail and, like, you're doing my work now, as opposed to Lex, you know, making other people work for him sort of stuff. Right. Um, and we also get who's under the helm for Dr. Hate, which is a great name. Yes. Um, interesting on the reveal. Um, I'm going to be, uh, like I said, and that's why I'm looking forward to issue six to see how, like, everything kind of gets paid off and wrapped up. And, you know, if some of these um, character changes, let's say, without being spoiler heavy, the character changes that happened, especially in issues four and five of the miniseries, end up being permanent, like not just get read, like not get fixed at the end of issue six, like at least maybe are they going to last for a year or these permanent changes? Mm hmm. Nothing's permanent permanent in comics, but... Permanent status quo changes, or at least mostly permanent status quo changes. Um, But I've been enjoying it. I just wish they did a better job, because I think it was a a thing where, as I have them right here in front of me, um, 
where like the issue of Titans, issue Titan of seven, like so Beast World four comes out the same the like Beast World four comes out, then Titan seven came out, and then Beast World five came out. But you were supposed to read Titan seven before Beast World four, even though it came out a week later. So I, I don't remember that because I remember that I had like where you should read what in front of it and it seemed to work fine to me, but I don't remember. You have yeah. a spreadsheet, so it, it wasn't that crucial, but mm-hmm. there was like one or two little plot points that it gave away. And I'm like, oh, right. I already um, know what happened because I already read Beast World in the order in which they were released, mm-hmm. not in the order in which you told me to read them, which I if I knew I would have sat on it and waited and read them in the right order. But um, that being said, things that I love about Beast World is that as Raven's running around, um, she's talking about her soul gem on her head. And I'm like, I can get behind that because if somebody's given up that word, that's your word to take over. Yeah. Um, the other thing. It's not a soul stone. Yeah, it's not a soul stone. It's a soul gem. So good to you, Raven. Um, but the thing that I don't like about it is it all feels very bloated running through and it's all tom taylor and it runs through beast world it runs through titans and even to a lesser extent nightwing because tom taylor's writing that the nightwing yep. i think you know flows right into it but the whole thing coming off of what was the nightmare books joe you know the one like the last cross night terrors night terrors i feel like it's like okay we had the night terrors book where we get to see all the heroes be you know have their nightmares now it's now we see all the heroes maybe become animals. Mm-hmm. It just seems like a gimmick and a gimmick that I don't enjoy. And it's something that in this giant crossover coming off night terrors, it's like, could we just have Titans for a little while? We're only issue seven. We've already had night terrors and we've had a giant star crossover. Yeah. It's all too much for me. I that get you. said, Tom Taylor is a great writer, and I love him, and he does everything he can with it, and I'm interested in it. But I'm like, okay, I need I need a breather on Titans already. Well, hopefully after Beast World ends, you, we'll, we'll all get that breather. Right, right. But who knows? We'll see. Oh. Uh, so while you're over at longboxheroes.com, of course, be sure to check out all the other stuff that Todd and I are up to, whether it be past episodes of this show, past episodes of Longbox Heroes After Dark, or the current ongoing Todd and Joe Have Issues. This year, we are tackling Gail Simone's Secret Six uh, story just, um, you know, less than uh, 20 years old. Uh, some of the newer, st- newer, newest stuff that we'll have covered. Uh, but we have to read Villains United first, because that's where Secret Six spins out of. And this week, we're going to be talking about issue five of Villains United, uh, as mentioned, written by Gail Simone with art by Dale Eaglesham. And again, we get right into the action. And if I have a lament about this issue is that, you know, we kind of leave the heroes at the last issue, um, you know, with kind of the bit there between Catman and Cheshire. Right. And we feel as though like an issue four, they were trying to set things up to maybe like not retcon, but maybe... Uh, fix something that Cheshire did that she's not as bad, like trying to maybe redeem her just a little bit. Right. And that ends up just getting completely thrown at the window by the end of this issue. But we'll get there when we get there. 
Um, as we're just thrown right into it as the six, they're not officially called the secret six yet, um, are at another LexCorp whatever, taking down and battling a bunch of the baddies that, you know, are part of the society. Now, I will say this, we have Catman taking on Monsieur Mala, and in issue four, didn't we get the story of, like, there's a history between these two characters? Right, that was the one the rumor was that he ate him. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. And this is, I think, his his uh, get right story, his get back story, you know? Okay. So. Um, we also get in this issue, uh, there's a fun bit where, uh, you know, there's, there's, they don't even bother to name most of them as they're just beating up a bunch of jamokes, like low end tier villains. And there's one that's attacking Ragdoll and, it's a beautifully drawn shot of the person kneeing Ragdoll in the groin. Mm-hmm. And Ragdoll says, I know what you were aiming for, but I'm afraid I've had all that bother surgically removed ages ago. And I love uh, Deadshot's answer to that. He's like, you're one disturbed freak, Ragdoll, but you're a com- you're committed to your freakdom. I'll give you that. And he's like, why, thank you, Mr. Lawton. Right now... As like this is where we start to hit our stride, where uh, Ragdoll is going to become a fan favorite of this book. You know what I mean? And you could see it like being here. And even when he uh, jumps into the fray, and uh, uh, Deadshot says like, "You should, you think you should help him?" And he's like, "Ragdoll's just those who dare not, care not." And I'm like, he Gail Simone's like dialogue for Ragdoll is so fun in these issues. In a different world, in a different time, planets aligned in a different way, Ragdoll could have been DC's Deadpool. Possibly. Possibly. Yes, a, yes. a creepier, more perverted Deadpool. Uh, so the society are having a powwow as Lex is putting together another group, um, specifically calls them the Freak Parade. And it's uh, tight. It's old school Titans villains. So it was cool to see like Titans villains here, uh, you know, the fearsome five. But while Lex is dealing with that, he happens to kind of give the brush off or not direct um, information to Vandal Savage, who is mm-hmm. there to tell Lex that he is resigning from the society. Right. And he's not going to give a reason, Joe. Uh-huh. No reason at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's in this issue where we get the official information later, uh, that I spoiled when we talked about issue one, <laughs> that Scandal is actually Scandal Savage, the daughter of Vandal Savage. What? Yeah. You don't say, Joe. Uh-huh. Oh. But that's kind of why he's pretty much, I mean, it's, that's why you would guess that he does want, doesn't want to team up with them taking down, uh, the secret sex, but. Right. Neither here nor there. And while that's going on, I guess this, we find out that the Secret Six are in uh, this thing, fighting in the, the LexCorp thing, trying to find out who Mockingbird is. They're off the rate off Mockingbird's radar for right now. Yeah, they have like a five minute window where they can kind of figure, you know, figure out where, um, you know, figure out who Mockingbird is mm-hmm. without Mockingbird figuring out that that's what they're up to. Right. Now, also in this issue is, you know, we are getting closer to Infinite Crisis. Yes. So we're getting a bunch of 1986 Crisis people 
we get the bit is Sinestro on Quard. Is that where he is getting Lady Quark? No, he's in, but he's in Space Sector seven seven uh, one thousand seven hundred twenty nine. If he was in Quard, that would be the Abney Matter universe. Okay, so we get Lady Quark. We get a Pariah a little bit later on. So it feels as though Lex and the society are trying to get those folks together that were crucial uh, or round or whatever uh, the last time that there was a big crisis event like this. But there's been at least 15 crisis events. Right. But that's the one that we're kind of aping back to, the one from 1986, you know? Right. When when this is all said and done, all that we're probably going to have to explain all this stuff. Or ask you just to forget about it because it it kind of is adjacent to Secret Six stuff. Yeah, yeah, um, and that's what uh, you know the uh, the 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 fearsome five or whatever they were, uh, the Titans villains went off to go get Pariah. Um, Pariah tells Lex that there is another coming, and Lex won't survive them showing up. Mm-hmm. And again, we have to address this stuff because it happens in here, but the C- the six are in a meeting with Mockingbird and, you know, Mockingbird is lording his power and all the blackmail that he has over them. And Catman kind of says up and says, let us do one run against the society, a suicide run, if you mm-hmm. will. And he says, if we succeed then you let us go scot-free. If we die, you're going to go and find yourself six new people, but you let our families go free. Right. And he's like, we're replaceable in your eyes. So we're confident that we could take Lex down. And if we're not, you let all of our families go. Mm -hmm. And Mockingbird agrees to the deal. But after they agree to the deal, unfortunately, this is when the six starts to splinter as was teased when Catman was telling his origin story throughout the course of this, how he ended up becoming part of the six, how there were poachers that showed up. He still smelled the cigarettes on the air. Deathstroke is the one that killed his pride that he was with. But then he remembered that Deathstroke stopped smoking years ago. And that it was Deadshot who actually killed his pride. Mm-hmm. And, and Deadshot admits it. Yeah. So who is Deadshot working for? Was he put up by Mockingbird to do this to get Catman on their side? But we don't have enough time to get the answer to that because it turns out that Cheshire has been a traitor all along. She led Lex and his cronies to the House of Secrets, and now hanging over uh, Catman's head is Cheshire essentially saying, like, well, if you kill me, you're going to kill your unborn child. And sure, I'm making a big risk here that Mockingbird is going to kill my daughter, but soon I'll have a replacement, so who cares? Um, It looks like Cheshire wasn't, like, getting redeemed at all. No, no. If you're willing to sacrifice one kid because now you have a second, that's not really mommyhood. That's you're not mother of the year or anything, Joe. 
So yeah, like as we're leading this, I'm like Cheshire's not getting a face turn. I don't care, and it's not how. Even knowing, like even when I was reading this back then, I was like Cheshire and getting a face turn. So, <laughs> so I I really like this, but this was the most heavily steeped in all the crisis nonsense that's going on of all the issues. Right, and it's really only two pages, but it's so much. <sighs> I don't know. I, I think it might be because I understand it so much because I, you know, read all of it. It was just like, oh, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Secret Six stuff. Sinestro shows up. Uh, Pariah shows up. That's all we need to know. That's that's it. Like, I, like if I took those pages out yeah. and just put in a black, like, ink page that said, Lex's plan that has nothing to do with this book, you would be fine. But that's the thing. Nothing to do with this book in the grand scheme of things. Mm-hmm. At the time... Maybe it did mean something, but us with, you know, 19 plus years or whatever it is, hindsight, we're able to say, it's like, okay, all of this stuff actually is not going to matter in the grand scheme of things, Mm -hmm. but the fact that it's in here, I have to deal with it and I have to address it. I can't just skip over those pages. No, I know, but I'm doing my best to explain to anybody who's not going to read Infinite Crisis. Don't worry about it. Yep. Because you have to read Trinity, you have to read Countdown, you have to read... <laughs> no, you don't have to read Countdown. Countdown was after. That was Countdown to Final Crisis. Oh, that that's was years right. later. <laughs> that was 52 done right. Yeah. Uh, but I'm enjoying this. I-, I can't wait for all the uh, Infinite Crisis stuff to be washed out of this book, and it's just the Secret Six. Yeah, we only have two more issues to go. Yep. And then and that, maybe some residual hanging around, but that's about it. That's not much, if I remember correctly. But I, 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 I don't. Yeah, I don't think it's much either. But yeah, I, I think it's one of those things where we get a bunch of an issue six, and then there's the one shot where it's like, oh, we're gonna kind of resolve anything that connected it to all this other stuff. So I these, think the special is gonna be very Infinite Crisis heavy. Jim. Yeah, I, think I it's haven't just, remember. I even remember it being sparse Secret Six. Oh, really? Yeah. If, don't hold me to that, but I remember that being way like the Secret Six are like, hey, we're passing through. You know what I mean? I'll have to double check that because it is Villains United. You know, it is Villains United special. Yeah. It's written by Gail. We got to read it, so we're gonna right. read it. You know, right? And if if that be if if that is said, Joe, I say because don't we have one a week until we hit the last week and we double up? Yeah. If that is all Infinite Crisis stuff with a Secret Six cameo, I say we double up there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just go Secret Six walks through and explain the ending. You know what I mean? But anyway, I'm I'm I'll leave that to after hours. You know? Well, we need to figure that out now, kinda. Right. Well, I'll read the issue and see, and then we can make the decision. Let me, I just happen to have it here on my desk. Let me uh, page through it real quick. Right, because we still have to read six yet, so we wouldn't be at seven. Oh, that's right. We could double up with six. I was thinking of doubling up with six and Secret Six One. I'm going to say we got to read it. Okay, I forget because I it's been a long time. So there is, but uh, so there's not a lot of hmm, secret six though. How could I say this? Well, don't worry, you can say it after after we're done. 
it, it's a lot of tying up who Mockingbird is but isn't. Gotcha. And getting the six back on track. Right. But with a lot of infinite crisis. Yeah, there is okay. a lot of infinite crisis, but it's a lot of familiar faces. Good, good. Um, it's a very pretty book as I'm thumbing through it here. <laughs> um, it's introdu- you know what though? It's introductions to um people that are going to show up in Secret Six. Right. And it's also um kind of leading the Secret Six to where they're going to show up next. Gotcha. Yeah. So again, we got to read it, unfortunately. No, I knew we got to read it. I just thought we might do a quick synopsis instead. It's a big book, so we'll read it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I got issue six next week. So let's wrap up the miniseries, get to the one shot, and then we can start diving into some some unencumbered stories. How about that? Yep. All right. So uh, again, while you're over at longboxheroes.com, of course, uh, you can go check out our store. You can buy shirts and pins and stickers. With our fancy logo on them, price to move, send me an email, talk to me in the Discord, we'll make a deal. Um, make any and all of your purchases through our eBay affiliate link. Uh, this page contains affiliate links for eBay. We may receive a small commission on the purchases you make. You could use this affiliate link anytime you want to buy anything on eBay and support us at the same time. Yeah. But the most important way to support us, of course, would be to sign up for the Patreon, patreon.com slash longboxheroes. Uh, for as little as a dollar a month, you're going to get two bonus shows from Todd and myself. One, Previewing the Past, where we look at 30 years ago this month's previews catalog for everything that came out in the past in the world of comics to see the ever-changing market to get to where we are today. The other, Comic Book Oddities, where we look at some of the lesser-known uh, more maligned, forgotten, pre-MCU movies, TV pilots, uh, made-for-TV movies, uh, failed projects, etc. We're fresh off watching the return of the Incredible Hulk with one of the greatest pieces of lost media in <laughs> the history of the world. Mm-hmm. I don't want to spoil it for everyone, but after this Friday, when it's available for all of our Patreons... We're going to be talking about it all the time. Right. Uh, But uh, $5 a month is going to get you those uh, two Patreon shows two weeks before everyone else. It's going to get you Longbox Heroes After Dark two days before everyone else. Uh, So you can listen to the shows in the correct listening order. And uh, you also get, at any level, the full scans of all those preview catalogs that we talk about going all the way back to 1990. Um like I said, sometimes a podcast just isn't for everyone. The previewing the past ones end up being three hours plus on average. <laughs> but if you're a comic book reader for a long time, or you remember when Marvels came out, or you remember Spider-Man 2099, or you remember Image, or whatever it is, we've got that preview catalog fully scanned up. Just go and take a peek through it. Just walk down all those great memories of comic books long past. That's right. We're just hitting the stride of Kyle Rayner showing up, Joe. And, you know, not to spoil all, spoil what we got coming up for uh, the February one, but they're already revisiting uh, less than two years later, Superman vs. Doomsday. I remember how the first round went. Uh, let's hope uh, things are a little bit better for Superman this time around. Yep. 
Uh, so I guess that's it. Since we got no TV shows, we got no movies. I didn't watch Echo. I don't think we watch an Echo. Um, right. Anything else? I, I could I could finally just tell you what happened. Uh, the post credit scene in Echo. So you know. Is it Daredevil stuff? Yes. All right. Um. Basically. Fisk gets his butt whooped by Echo. Maybe clears some ma- using magic clears like his conscious, like with his issues with his father being beating him as a kid. Whatever, we're not sure on that. But as he's going home, he's getting on the plane, and they're talking about the mayoral race in New York and how there's no strong candidates, and they maybe need a big powerful candidate to like do things. And it's basically implying that Fisk is going to run for mayor of New York Ooh. City. And that's it. That's how it ends. That's like pushing things up to like almost current day Marvel Universe stuff. Right. It's almost like they kind of knew what they were doing, Joe. Yeah, I guess. All right. Well, thanks everyone for listening. Uh, this was episode 695 of Long Box Heroes. For Todd, this is Joe saying we'll see you all here next week. Remember, be a faucet, not a drain. Listening to the soon to be named network, the Lamborghini of Podcast Networks. The Rob is a long box hero. The Rob is a long box hero. He gives us five five stars.